We are looking at a legacy in the age of the immediate. And the proverb uh, that we are looking at today, we have a proverb each week, is grandchildren are the crowning glory of the aged. Parents are the pride of their children. We're going to be thinking about sort of different generations and what it means to leave a legacy. Um, up on the screen, hopefully, will come a photo of a bench that one of my friends uh, sent me uh, last week. And it was a bench that she uh, came across as she was out for a walk. And I don't know if you can see what is uh, inscribed on the bench, but it says, we are known by the tracks that we leave. It's a really beautiful sentiment that probably all of us would want for our lives, that we want our lives to have meaning that leave a track behind us that will make a difference beyond the time that we have on this earth. But actually, if we probably really think about it, it's a, it's a sort of sentiment that really jars with the culture that we live in at the moment. So we find ourselves, I think, at the moment, particularly here in the Western world, living in a culture that says, we want instant results now. We want change now. We want to see things happen now. We're not interested in what's going to happen in a few years. We want it now. So many people have Instagram accounts. The ability to instantly record and show the world what we're getting up to. Look at me right now, having a great time right now. We live in a world where we can order something on a computer at nine o'clock in the morning and it can be in our house by six o'clock the same evening. We live in a world where there is a huge rise of people wanting to be famous. I want my five minutes of fame. And so we see the rise of reality TV shows uh, coming up and up and up. And often when we uh, go into schools and uh, going into schools in different contacts and you say to kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And so many now say, I just want to be famous because they want to have their five minutes of fame, that now, that in the moment. And if we're true, we probably can see that culture creeping a little bit into church life as well, across the UK, I don't just mean Riverside, where sometimes we can find ourselves asking the question of, but how many people were there? Rather than, wow, did you see that guy who's been coming for the last year? He's really, really getting involved, isn't he? And look how he's making friends and developing we want to know the instant results rather than actually what is going on in people's lives on the long-term basis. If you're anything like me at the moment where we find ourselves as Riverside waiting for a building to go into that we're going to move into and call home, I can find myself on some days saying, why aren't we walking into the building now? Rather than saying, but who am I walking alongside every single day in my life? But maybe in this culture of the immediate and having our focus and our value being placed on the actions and the instant results, that we as followers of Jesus have the opportunity to actually live and to lead in a completely different way. And if you're joining us this morning in the room or at home and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I hope that this morning just shares with you something of our heartbeat, who we are, why we do what we do, we believe what we believe. Because we can be people who can focus on leaving a legacy that will be life-changing, investing in what comes after us, rather than just investing in ourselves. And I really believe that as followers of Jesus, we have a unique legacy to leave. We do amazing things in this church and in the church throughout the UK to support the community, to run groups that people can come to, to do life with people, to support people financially, ways that we've seen with RPA, so many incredible things that we do out in the community to support people and to love people. But we do not have the monopoly on that. 
alongside us, there are so many other faith groups. There are so many other community-based groups, particularly pre-COVID, that are doing amazing things in this community and in the community throughout the UK. But the unique reason that we do all these things, the unique legacy behind all that we do, is the gospel message. And that is simply that we believe that God sent his son, God, here on earth to help each one of us, every single person throughout the whole of this world, to be able to have a relationship back with our Father in heaven, to know that he wants to love us so much. He wants to save us from ourselves and the things that we do, to say, actually, I love you. I want to be in relationship with you now to restore you here on this earth, but also to give you a, a hope for the future, that one day you will be in eternity with me forever. That is the heartbeat and the DNA behind everything that we do. Why we believe in supporting people. Why we want to invite people to things. Why we run Stay and Plays. Why we run Riverside Money Advice. Why we run Riverside Performing Arts. And so many other brilliant things that are going on in this community. But how do we then share this amazing message? This leave this legacy of salvation for so many others who will come after us to find? Well, actually, I think simply we can just look at the model of Jesus, of God's Son, fully God, fully human here on this earth. Because as we read about Jesus, we saw someone who got alongside people one-on-one, -on -one, regardless of their age, regardless of their gender, of their economic or social standing, he shared his face with thousands of people, speaking to the masses. But in the midst of all of that, in the midst of the getting alongside people one-on-one, -on -one, in the midst of speaking to the masses, the one thing that Jesus did so wonderfully and brilliantly while he was on this earth was that he invested in a few to leave his legacy for all. He was the son of God. When Jesus came to this earth, he could have done anything to share his message with anyone. He wasn't limited by humanity as we are. He was God on earth. He could have written in the sky the message of salvation that he was bringing if he had wanted to. But actually what Jesus chose to do was to stay in a relatively small geographical area, sharing his message and investing heavily in a group of 12 individuals who he designated as apostles. And that simply means people who were going to take his message on after him and to share his message with so many others. But I think it's really important that we understand who these 12 people were. Because maybe slightly in our heads, we've got wrong who it was that Jesus chose to invest in and really take his legacy out. Because these weren't remarkable people. In the Jewish culture, uh, boys would be trained in the Jewish faith from about 5 to the age of 12 to 13. If they showed real intellect or real promise, they then got to go on and train further under a rabbi, under another teacher. None of these people that Jesus called had gone on to train under another rabbi. They were out working in family businesses. They weren't remarkable. They weren't the intelligent ones. I also don't know what you think about when you think about the disciples, and hopefully some pictures will come up on the screen. But over the last couple of weeks, just in conversation, I've kind of been saying to people, oh, how old do you think they were? How old do you think the, kind of the 12 disciples, apostles that Jesus called were? And it might be that from films that you've seen, some of these pictures up on the screen, you might think, oh, yeah, these are the kind of people that I think of. In Jewish culture, most men were married by the age of 18. There is only mention of one of the 12 apostles being married in the gospel messages in the Bible, which are the kind of books that talk about Jesus. Peter is the only one who's mentioned as being married. None of the others are. 
They probably were all over the age of kind of 12, 13, because they had finished their training and their teaching, and they were out working. But the reality is that most of the people that Jesus called probably were under the age of 18. These were young people that he chose to invest in, that he chose to do life with, that he chose to share his message with. Jesus chose young people to take the message that in the Bible it's written has been called the Great Commission out into the world. And I'm just going to read you what it says. It's from the very end of the book of Matthew. So this is Jesus speaking. At this point, there are only 11 disciples because one of them has betrayed him and has died at this point. So he's speaking to the 11 apostles that are left. And he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. This was the legacy that Jesus left. He invested heavily and highly into young men so that they could continue to take his message of restoration and salvation out to the rest of the world. He modelled it to them. He didn't write his message in the sky so that one generation looked up and went, we're going to follow Jesus, and then the next generation didn't because they'd had nothing modelled to them. He modelled it to 12 young people who then said, we have had this modelled to us because Jesus has invested in us, and we're going to go and do the same. We are going to model this to other people who are going to model it to others, to others and others, until the whole world, and we here now in 2022 in the UK, are knowing Jesus. That's what Jesus did during his time on this earth. So how did Jesus do this in kind of intentional investment into these young people? Well, can I suggest there are just a number of ways that kind of really stand out alongside some others? First of all, he intentionally got into their lives. As Helen read to us this morning from the book of Luke, it says that Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. He got into his life. He saw he was in a boat. He literally got into the boat and got into relationship with Peter, Simon Peter. He modelled his faith to them throughout the whole of the four books, the gospel books that talk about Jesus. There are so many different examples of Jesus modelling his faith to them through healings, through miracles, through forgiving people, through praying with people, through challenging people. He modelled all of that to them. He taught them. Luke 11 uh, verse 2 They say to uh, the disciples, the apostles say to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And so then Jesus goes on to teach them to pray. He taught them. He released them in their faith. When they were at a moment where they were with uh, 5,000 people who all needed feeding, Jesus didn't just click his fingers and along came the food. He said to them, you give them something to eat. He released them to get on with the work alongside them. He prayed for them. As well as teaching them to pray, he prayed over them and he prayed with them. He also corrected them. We've spoken in this series a few times about the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus went right at the end of his life. And Judy mentioned in her talk, there was that moment where Jesus had said to them, stay awake, pray for me. Jesus comes back, they've all fallen asleep and he says, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Six ways that Jesus really invested into these young men who he was doing life with. Lucy Pepiat writes in her book, The Disciple, 
Jesus' disciples learnt because they were with him. They lived their day-to-day lives in his company. They listened to him teach the crowds. They watched him pray. They saw him heal others. They asked him to explain what he meant when they were confused. They ate with him, walked with him, questioned him, laughed with him, and cried with him. Jesus and his followers genuinely loved each other and engaged with each other in real and deep ways. It wasn't just a tokenistic relationship that he had with them. He really knew them. He was in their boats, getting to know them, getting to know what was going on in their lives, helping them, investing in them, growing and developing them. And we can follow this amazing yet simple model that Jesus has given to us by helping others grow in their relationship with Jesus, by investing in them, by discipling them. And one of the most important faith investments that we can give is what Jesus modelled to our children and our young people, to get into their boats, to invest in their lives. I've heard uh, when we've done similar talks where we've looked at kind of investing into young people and children, people sort of like push back a little bit to say, but what about the other ages? Why are we just focusing on the children and the young people? That is not what we're saying. Jesus, like we'd looked at at the beginning, got alongside people one-on-one, regardless of age, gender, economic, social standing. He spoke to the thousands, to the masses. It doesn't mean that we are not sharing our faith with everybody, but it does mean that if we want to see this model of Jesus' message of salvation and restoration that is for everybody, continuing on throughout the generations, we have got to be people who say we are going to intentionally invest in our children and our young people so that they can grow, that they can grow up as disciples who will then go on to invest in and disciple and teach the younger generations after them. I remember, uh, I'm sure many of you do as well, uh, the lovely Brian Phelps, who was part of the Bourneville congregation. And I remember once um, Brian saying to me, just before I think he was about to have a hip operation, and we were really struggling uh, for people to help with the children's work at Bourneville. And so we kind of said, look, guys, we just need some people to get on board. And O'Brien came up to me, you know, this wonderful guy in his kind of later years of life. And he said to me, Sarah, I'm not a children's worker and I can't get on the floor and I can't play with them. But I can stand up in the room and tell them how much Jesus loves them. And I thought, what a beautiful heart. I'm not a children's worker. I can't play with them, but I can tell them how much Jesus loves them. In America, between 2009 to 2018, the Barna Group, who is a research group, did some research with uh, 48,769 people, to be precise. Uh, And uh, they did some research with that group of people over that eight years. Uh, And they basically looked at people who'd grown up in church. So children who had grown up in church, who'd been going to church all their life. And they kind of interviewed and spoke to people who are now between the ages of 18 to 29, who came from church, families had grown up in church, And they wanted to see what were the results over these eight years, speaking to almost 50,000 people, of where those young people were now at in their faith between the ages of 18 to 29. Now, this is research and data that comes from America, but the sad thing is that these statistics in the UK, if this research were done, probably would be a lot worse than they are in America. So they found that out of these uh, people they interviewed, 22% were no longer, or would no longer have anything to do with the Christian faith. They were actively anti the Christian faith. They found that 30% were, they use the word nomads, unchurched. People who don't go to church anymore, they're not really kind of anti it, they just don't go anymore. 
they found that 38% were habitual churchgoers. So they went occasionally, Christmas, Easter, maybe they'd pop along once a month. They just had a connection with the local church. And they found that 10% were left as resilient disciples, as men and women who between the ages of 18 to 29 were still really going for it in their faith, were growing in their faith, were flourishing in their faith. That shocked me and saddened me when I read those statistics. But there was a couple of things that really stood out in the 10% that still were going for it in their faith. Because they tried to work out what is it that's going on in the lives of this 10% that have made that they're still resilient disciples really going for it in their faith. 85%, so almost all, of those resilient disciples said that whilst they were growing up from the ages of 0 to 18, there was someone in their church family, outside of their home family, who encouraged them to grow spiritually and invested in their life on a regular basis. That somebody from church, outside of their family, because quite frankly, my kids don't listen to me, nor do they want to listen to me. And I hold my hands up and say, I know we've got responsibility as parents, absolutely. But, you know, they don't want to listen to me. Um, but there, are, there was somebody else who said, I value you enough, I see you enough as a child, as a young person, I'm going to walk with you in your faith journey. I am committed to walking with you, and I want to invest in you, and I want to love you and cherish you and champion you. That made was a big difference. That was the thing that kept people going on as resilient disciples. We have got amazing children and young people in our church they are an eclectic bunch of people from all sorts of different walks and backgrounds who bring all sorts of different beautiful gifts and personalities and challenges and encouragements. But the times I've had the privilege of either being with the children and going on the children's weekend away this year was one of my absolute highlights of the year. Or times when I've come to Rock or Miff, our two youth groups that we run here on a Friday night. They are brilliant. They invite people along. We were on the children's weekend away. There were kids there who'd never been to church before, but they came along because their friend invited them. When I heard about the Riverside Big Weekend Away, I didn't go, wow, which friend am I going to bring? I didn't. I put it in my diary and thought, oh, yeah, I must book in at some point, but maybe another day. But I didn't think about which friend I'd bring along. They just invite people. Friday night, there is such joy here because they're just hanging out, they're having life, they're doing life together. Small groups on Wednesday for the children here at Riverside House. Some of the children had brought friends along. Probably didn't know what on earth they'd come along to. But they just, like, the, the children aren't held back by the same things that we're held back by. We have a number of uh, people in our church whose children and young people have made a commitment to follow Jesus, but their grown-ups or parents or adults with responsibility haven't yet made that. Yet they come along to church every single week because their children want to be here. One of my best mates who uh, calls me her godbother a friend, um, she hasn't made a faith commitment yet, but she comes every week. She helps with the kids' work. She has said it's all right to say. She's out there today helping with the kids' work, and she loves church. And she said, you know what? I'm learning so much about God in the kids' work. How brilliant is that? Just amazing things are happening, not through us, but actually through our children and our young people. Let's take this model of Jesus and realize that we need to engage actively and intentionally in the younger generation so that every generation may come to know the truth of a relationship with Jesus. 
Wouldn't it be amazing if tomorrow, off the back of today, that Sarah, our head of children's ministries, and John, our head of youth ministries, come into work with inboxes full of emails of people not saying, I want to go on a road tour because I don't mind giving up a Sunday to help with the kids' work, but of people saying, I want to get involved with what you're involved with because I want to invest in the children and the young people because we do not want to have a church where 10% of children still have a relationship with Jesus. We want to be a church where 100% of kids and young people from the ages of 18 to 29 have a relationship with Jesus. Let's invest with them. Let's love them. I'm terrified of teenagers. Oh, my goodness, they terrify me. My eldest daughter rolls her eyes at me all the time, and she's only 12. I don't go anywhere near them on a Sunday morning. But what if I did? What if I actually got alongside them and started chatting to them, investing in them, and loving them? Let's disciple our young people so that we as a church can bring life to every generation in every community, helping people to get to know Jesus and grow as his obedient follows in Birmingham and beyond. That's the heartbeat of our church. Let's that be the heartbeat for each of us.